0: You're about to hear a message that was preached at Calvary Fellowship in Miramar, Florida. At Calvary, we exist to help people take their next step with God, and we pray that this message helps you do just that. How's everybody doing? Hey, we are really glad that you're here with us at Calvary. So, can I, as we, can I make confession to you? Um, I don't really like Mexican food. I know you should have heard. Eleven o'clock. They were horrified at what at this new revelation, and uh, I don't know. I, I, and I know that some of you think it's a heresy of biblical proportions, but I'm just not really into it. And the problem is, uh, I am married to a woman who loves Mexican food, and I'm just not like oh Mexican's so good. I, just, I mean, she is like daily every day without Mexican food is a day too many. And so, uh, and she could eat it every day. And I once told her, I said, I think you have a secret regret of not marrying a Mexican man who had a Mexican abuela that could bring over homemade chimichangas. And her response was, wow, I do love chimichangas. And uh, so that hurt a little. And, uh, but now I, I tell you this because a couple of years ago, my wife was going on uh, this three day detox, where you drink these smoothies instead of food, you drink these smoothies, and it's supposed to make you uh, healthier or something. And uh, so and so, I said, I you know, she's I detox so I can later retox, but that's a different story. And uh, but so but being the loving supporting husband that I am, I said, Hey, look, if you want, I'll do the detox with you. And so anyway Um, because let's be honest, a little detoxing wouldn't kill me. And uh, friends, this is the worst thing I've ever engaged in in my life. The smoothies that I was given tasted like a cross between freshly mowed lawn and grim death. I mean, this was horrible. The worst part of all was getting texts from the smoothie guy who is the guy in charge of this whole thing, he would send us these texts uh, throughout the day. So like after like 10 o'clock, he'd be like, hey, you just had your second smoothie. I know they're delicious. Keep going. You can do it. I was so enraged by these texts. It's like everyone made me angrier than the one before. I vowed at that point I was going to kill this man. And, uh, and I, the way I was going to do it was I was going to force feed him his own smoothies. Because I knew he had never tried them or he wouldn't be talking them up like they tasted good. And so anyway, so it was three days. I got to about lunchtime of the third day and I'm like, that's it. I had to drink this coconut thing and uh, I almost threw up. And I'm like, that's it. That's where I draw the line is that coconut. And so anyway, but we were about, so we had done the first full day and we were still tricking ourselves into thinking this was okay. And then we get to about lunchtime on the second day, and my wife says to me, she's like, you know what I really want to eat? I said, what? And she says, chips and salsa. And I said, chips and salsa are the best. And I'm like, I could go for some nachos right now or a quesadilla or some fajitas. I'm like, even tacos would be great right now. And, And now, listen, I am Mr. I don't like Mexican food, but under the right circumstances, I can become the president of the Pico de Gallo Society, and it didn't even take that long. And, and, and listen, all it takes, all it takes is just a little bit of change to transform our perspective. And I have found that in my life, and I know that you've found it in yours as well, where something happens, and you feel one way, and then you get some new information, you grow in wisdom, something else happens, and now you've got a totally different take on the thing that that, that, took happen, that, that happens. And listen, this is why sometimes all it takes is a change of perspective, and even though nothing else has changed, everything has changed, because your perspective it's different. Now, this is, and listen, we're doing this all the time. We're doing this in, in, with two others. If you are a parent, you're trying to do this with your kids, where, you know, you're trying to get your kids to eat, some, oh, I don't know what I want, you know what I mean? And, and you're just explaining, uh, the, the, like, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't get a choice, right? You're saying, you're telling, like, your kids don't care, right? <laughs> they don't care that you grew up in North Korea and uh, or whatever, you want to call your home. But anyway, it's like, but you know, it's like, I don't care, you know, but you're like, you have three types of mac and cheese in the pantry, right? We didn't, mac and cheese wasn't even an option, but you're just trying to, you're trying to give information to change perspective. And by the way, your kids are trying to do that to you as well. They're like, hey, listen, when we go to the pool party, you know, they have like this overhang. And and um, so some people, what they do is that they, they climb out the window and then you climb on the overhang and then you kind of jump off the roof into the pool and I'm just are you okay if I like no like yeah but you know Pepito his his parents let him jump off the roof and it's like well first of all Pepito's parents are idiots and you can tell because they named their child Pepito and so which so I guess is another sermon and so now so we're in message number nine of our series in the book of Acts, and it, it is, if you're not aware of the book of Acts, it's the story of how the church expanded and grew after the resurrection of Jesus. And so we've seen, as we, if you've been with us, uh, we've seen the church explode with growth, thousands of people have been saved, and we saw in chapter three a guy get healed, which causes quite a stir, and the church be- it begins growing without a lot of opposition, And then as we got to chapter 4, we started seeing more opposition happening externally and the addition became multiplication. So even with the persecution, the church began to grow even more. And then we saw in our last message in the beginning of chapter 5, we saw some subtraction internally as God starts weeding out compromise and hypocrisy. And now what we're going to see is we're going to see people looking at the same thing differently. And I think this is what's going to be so powerful for us is because we're going to see different perspectives change and their feelings about Jesus, their feelings about the church. And this is what I think is going to be so powerful for us as we look at it and and kind of relate this text to our lives is that if you will change your perspective, no matter your situation, everything begins to change even if nothing has changed. And so anyway, it's inevitable. So we're going to start in chapter 5, in verse 12. And uh, if you have your Bible, you can open there. If you don't, if you have your notes, if you have the app, if you have on the screen, pretty much everywhere, unless your eyes are closed, you are gonna be able to see the text. So look at verse 12. Here's what we start. It says, and through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch, yet none of the rest dared join them, but the, the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so they brought the sick out to the streets to lay them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Then the high priest rose up, and all... Who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. But at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, and said, Go, stand in the temple, and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple early in the morning and taught. But the high priest and those with him came and called the council together with all the elders of the children of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, there's three things we're going to look at as far as changing perspective. But the first is this, is that a change in perspective reveals my trust. Now, let me set the scene for you if I can. Remember, we just had the situation with Ananias and Sapphira, who kind of dropped dead in the middle of the church uh, over their hypocrisy. Peter and John have just been released from custody, uh, told not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore by the Jewish religious leaders. And now they're back at it. They're back in the temple. They're technically in an area that's called Solomon's Porch. So let me give you a little bit of background there. So this is a model. If you come with us to Israel in the fall, we're going to visit this model of the old city of Jerusalem around 66 AD. But this is a model of the temple and then this is Solomon's porch right here. And then if you'll look uh, in the next slide, we have a rendering of it. So you can see, this is at, maybe at a busier time, but th- there, you could have thousands of people meeting in this area, and that's exactly what was taking place. The apostles were there, and they were preaching, they were teaching. There's amazing healing that's happening. So much so that people in the greater Jerusalem area are hearing about this and filling the temple with folks who who need help. And this is making the religious leaders very upset. They arrest the apostles. Now, whether it was all 12 or whether it was a group of them, we're not sure, but nothing to make us think it wasn't all 12. And then uh, we get like the gospel version of Shawshank Redemption when these guys bust out of prison miraculously with this angel that's leading them out. But then here's the kicker to me is that the angel, once he gets them out of prison, he says, go back to the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, this is a powerful thing because if you had just gotten busted out of prison, you definitely wouldn't go back to the place where you got arrested. And you definitely wouldn't go to the place, not just with the place where you were arrested, but to the place where all the people who arrested you, the place where they work. Because you know you're gonna run into them and that's what happens. But listen, God had shown up in their lives. And when God shows up in your life, it changes your perspective on the troubles in your life. Because some of us, listen, we're afraid of what's gonna happen. Listen, the moment that you start trusting God and you start watching him show up, you will not be afraid anymore. Listen, every person, every family, every church goes through lean seasons. And I remember when we bought this property, I'm gonna say it was towards the end of 2013. And so we bought this property we had uh, put under contract, we put some money down, and then we were going to close on it. We had to wire some money uh, to the agent, you know, whatever, you know how closings work. And so then I had to go down to our attorney's office and we were going to sign the papers. And I remember after we had done all that and we had wired the money, we had like $800 in the account. And we still had, we were still meeting in high school and we still had to do like payroll, you know, all the kind of normal stuff that happens. But you know, that's never been something in, in, in my life that's ever been like the thing that, that worries me. And the reason is because I, what I saw God do the very first month of our church, it changed me. Uh, God showed up and it just really transformed me. Now, some of you know the story. I try to share it at least once a year because, uh, and you probably have this in your life. There are certain things that have happened in your life that have really, uh, that have shaped you. And this for me and for us at Calvary, this is one of those stories that really shaped us and and definitely shaped me and trusting God and and all of that. But when we started our church, we didn't have a sound system, but I was on staff as an associate pastor at another church. and I was running a college and uh, I had gone into this closet in a room and I found a sound system that they didn't even know was there. And so I was like, hey, I found the sound system. Can I use it indefinitely? And they said, yeah, well, we didn't even know we had it. So just go ahead and use it. Great. Three weeks after we start our church, after our third Sunday, I get a call from them and they're like, hey, uh, we need that sound system back. And I'm like, for what? And they said, no, we need it because we have a thing going on. I'm like, you didn't even know you had it until I discovered it. I'm like the Indiana Jones of your church, discovering things that you thought were lost. And they're like, no, we need it. It's very important to us. So anyway, and I was, I was, I was upset. I'll be honest. I was frustrated. And I was like, fine, I'm going to give it back. But they said, we need it back by Monday. And I just, I was 26. So forgive me. But I was like, no, I'm not bringing it back till Tuesday. That's how I'm going to stick it to the man. And so I brought it back on Tuesday. And then I go and I sit in my office. um, Because once again, my day job, I'm still running a college. So I'm sitting, I'm I'm sitting in the office and I have no idea what we're going to do on Sunday. And I'm like, Dude, this, is, this thing is going to fizzle out within one month. You know, it's like, hey, what, you hear the story about Calvary? Yeah, the, the church that had three services, and then it ended. Uh, and, and it's like, I, I don't know what's going to happen. On, so Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Thursday afternoon, I get a call from a friend of mine uh, who pastors a church down south, uh, down off Bird Road. And um, he says, hey, four boxes just got here with your name on them. And I had no idea what that is. I hadn't ordered anything, and I definitely would not have sent it to his church on Bird Road. I do my best to avoid Bird Road. And uh, someone didn't like that joke in the first service. They're like, hey, I live off Bird Road. And I'm like, well, then you know. And uh, so anyway, (laughs) anyway, so, but we're friends, it's okay. So anyway, now, so let me give you a little more info. Let's rewind six months. I get invited to speak at this men's conference. And at this, uh, the, the other speaker at the men's conference is this pastor from California. And he says, hey, I heard that you're starting a church. I said, yeah, we're starting in this area, whatever. And uh, so he's like, oh, man, that's cool. We're going to pray for you, whatever. And he just writes down my information. He's like, hey, I want to keep in touch. So he writes down my information. And then he come, goes back to California, and he has breakfast with a friend of his. A friend, the, the friend that uh, he's meeting with says, hey, I met this guy named Bob, and he's starting a church. Uh, he's starting a Calvary down in, in South Florida, and he's like, oh, that's great. The guy he's talking to owned an AV company, and that was just it. They said, oh, this guy, oh, that's cool. And um, apparently, they, that guy got my information, and God just put it in his heart one day and said, I bet you that guy, that guy Bob, probably needs a sound system. And he put an entire sound system in four boxes and mailed it to the only address he knew, which was the guy who was hosting the men's conference, and just mailed it to him. And listen, I have never spoken to this guy. He's never been here. And, um, and the only contact I've ever had was the thank you letter that I wrote him for sending me uh, this sound system. Which, by the way, best thank you letter I've ever written. I went all King James on it, too. Like, heretofore, thou, thou's boxes arrived on the fortnight. You know what I mean? I mean, I really went for it. And, um, and so, but listen... This, this changed me. Th- I'm telling you, this event changed me. God used this guy to bless our church and teach me a lesson that I've never forgotten. And listen, I have hundreds of these stories, some that I share with you, some of them that are too personal to share. Um, but you know, listen, here, here's, here's the thing, is that the day that I returned that sound system begrudgingly, those boxes were already in the mail to me. When I was sweating it on Tuesday night and Wednesday and Thursday, those boxes were already in, in route to me with my name on them. Listen, God was already making a way. And so listen, if, if, you, if you had that little piece of information, man, I can't believe I got to return this sound system. They're, these guys aren't, they're not for me. They say they want to help, but they don't really want to help. You'd be like, Bob, give these guys their sound system back with your compliments because what God has for you is so much better. I'm telling you, um, I, by the way, there's still little pieces of that sound system that we use to this day. And, uh, and, and there is like this understanding. None of that sound system gets thrown away. Like you do that at the risk of your own life uh, here like there, that is always, that is always here. It will always be here. And, um, but, and my point is this, when God shows up in your life and you've seen what can happen when you surrender to him, listen, you will not be afraid. In fact, just the opposite, you will be emboldened and God is, will honor the fact that you, you trusted him and you stepped down. And so that's what happens with a change of perspective. You change perspectives and it just starts, it, it starts revealing who you trust, But the second thing that happens, look what happens in uh, verse 22 as we go on. He says, but the officers came and did not find them in the prison. They returned and reported saying, indeed, we found the prison shut securely and the guards standing outside before the doors. And when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the high priest, the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, they wondered what the outcome would be. So one came and told them saying, look, the men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest said to them saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Him God has exalted to the right hand to be prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so also is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And if you pause there and give me your attention, second thing that's so important. And that is, if a change in perspective reveals my trust, then the second thing is that a change in perspective challenges my assumptions. What I find so interesting about this section is the response of the high priest. Did you notice that Caiaphas won't even say Jesus' name? He's like, hey, uh, you know, we told you not to teach in, in this name. And you intend to bring this man's blood on us. Now let's talk about that for a minute. The high priest accuses the apostles of intending to bring on them, on their head, the blood of Jesus. What a strange thing to say. Why would they say such a thing? Well, let's go back to the archives. Let's go back to the Gospel of Matthew. And here's what, here's what we'll see. In Matthew 27, Jesus is standing trial. It says, Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why, what evil has he done? And they cried out all the more, saying, let him be crucified. And then Pilate, when he saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, you see to it. And then all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. This was just a couple of months before what we're seeing in Acts chapter 5. And they're saying, Oh, I have no recollection of that ever taking place. And this is why Peter's response is so strong when he says, Listen, you crucified him, you murdered him. And he says in verse 30. And there's a powerful lesson here that I think will really impact us if we allow it. The high priest wants to make this conflict a power struggle. We told you not to preach in this name any longer. The apostles are seeing this conflict as an issue of obedience. No, no, no. That's why they keep saying the same thing. We will obey God rather than men. They said it back in chapter 4, verse 19. They say it now in chapter 5, verse 29. But here's my point. In your life, in my life, in our lives, everyone has conflict to varying degrees throughout the course of their lives. It's just part of the human experience. But... There is something that, that powerful that happens when you see beyond the conflict and you stop fighting with people and then you start, you start fighting for the people in, in your life, even the people that you have conflict, conflict with. This is especially true in marriage. The goal isn't being right. The goal is resolution. And here's how you know someone doesn't want resolution and they just want to be right. When they start bringing unrelated things and they start making the ad hominem attacks and they just start getting personal because they want to hurt you. And here's how the Apostle Paul would tell us to change that, change our perspective when we walk into conflict. This is in Philippians chapter two. It says this, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Now here's what, Paul is saying, now this, the whole first half of Philippians chapter 2 is an entire exposition on conflict and conflict resolution. We're taking one verse, but what we're looking at it is what Paul says is this. uh, Part of reducing conflict and resolving conflict is considering the other person. That instead of just assuming that you're right and just pounding away, look at things from their perspective. Because listen, a lot of times with conflict, we won't even consider what the other person is saying. We're simply trying to win, and that is not a recipe for resolution. Now, my wife and I, thankfully, we have been married for 26 years, and uh, thank you. I appreciate that. And. Um, and generally speaking, you know, we have some things that we disagree on that we just let go. But most of the time, we tend to agree on most things. But one night, this happened a few years ago, we got, we got home from out of town. We unloaded the suitcases and we got the kids into bed. And by that time, we were, we were wiped out. And so we're laying in bed and we say, hey, let's watch a TV show before we, before we go to sleep. So in the middle of the show, Carrie falls asleep. And then she wakes up when the show ends. And I said, hey, I saved the show, and we can watch it again tomorrow. This is when you had to save. This is like DVR time, not when everything was streaming. And so uh, I said, I saved the show. We can watch it again tomorrow. She's like, it's okay. Just delete it. So I deleted it. And then the next morning, I talk about the show, and now she fell asleep. And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it tonight. I'm like, hold on. Um, you, you told me to delete the show last night. She says, yeah, but I was half asleep, and I know you wouldn't listen to what I was saying when I was half asleep. I'm like, well, interesting thing. Uh, I, I, I thought you were serious, so I deleted it. And she said, why would you delete it? I was not in the mental state to make that decision. And I'm like, here, this is very hard for me because sometimes you ask me to do things and you actually want me to do them Other times you're asking me to do things and you do not want your wishes carried out. How am I supposed to know which is which? And she says, how about not asking me what my wishes are when I'm half asleep? You know what the best part of the whole thing is? That night I turned on the TV. It was still there. I forgot to delete it. And so those of you that want to get married, you want to know what marriage is? It's exactly this. This is it. Now just throw like a bunch of little kids in there and that's that's what it is. All right. So now, but here's the thing that will bring you much joy in relationships, even when there's conflict. And that is seeing it in a new way, changing your perspective. And by the way, because sometimes, and and once again, sometimes the conflict is you said the right thing, but you said it in the wrong way. Sometimes the conflict is you didn't say anything. And it's like, well, I didn't know what to say. So that's why I didn't say anything. And sometimes not saying anything comes off as apathy But it really wasn't meant to be that. You just didn't know what to say. And listen, looking at it from a new situation immediately begins to calm things down. And I'm not saying you don't believe what you believe. I'm not saying we just kind of push conflict under the rug. I'm simply saying consider what the other person is seeing from their perspective. Understand how they experience life. You know what will happen at worst? At worst, you will see how they arrived at the conclusion that they came to. At best, it will give you empathy for where they are even if you still disagree. But you know what? Both of those things, whether it's understanding how they came to the conclusion or having empathy, is the recipe for resolution in conflict. And then there's one other piece, and it's, it's what we see next in verse 33. Look what it says. It says, when they heard this, that is, you murdered Jesus by hanging him on a tree, and we're going to keep preaching. And when they heard this, they were furious and plotted to kill them. Like, okay, this just escalated. And then one in the council stood up, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in respect by all people and commanded them to put the apostles outside for a while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what you intend to do regarding these men. For some time ago, Thaudius uh, rose up claiming to be somebody, a number of men, about 400 joining him. He was slain. And all who obeyed him were scattered and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee, rose up in the days of the census, and he drew away many people after him. And he also perished, and all who who obeyed him were dispersed. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. If this plan or this work is from men, it will come to nothing. But if it is from God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you... Even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for his name. And daily in the temple and every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, last thing is that a change in perspective brings me wisdom. This is one of my favorite sections in the entire book of Acts because it's so powerful and it causes us to trust God even if we don't agree with something that's happening. Now, obviously, we're not talking about things that are blatantly evil. But there are moments when we see people doing things seemingly for God and we wonder if it's the right thing. And Gamaliel offers us this incredible advice that if it's of human effort, that is not ordained by God. It's just someone stepping out in pride or anger or for purposes of self-aggrandizement. It's bound to fail ultimately. But if something is truly of God, then you can't stop it because you'll find yourself fighting with God and that usually doesn't end well. Now Gamaliel that we, we uh, meet here, he is a Pharisee. That means he's part of the strictest sect of Judaism. Another thing to know about Gamaliel is that he was the grandson of Rabbi Hillel, Rabbi Hillel is probably one of the three most revered rabbis in Jewish history. Uh, Hillel, a rabbi named Akiva in in, uh, about 100 years from from this, and then a rabbi named Maimonides in the Middle Ages are probably the three most revered rabbis in Jewish history, and he was the grandson of Hillel, who was one of the mo- uh, probably the most revered. And uh, the other thing that's important for us to know about Gamaliel is that Gamaliel was the mentor of Saul of Tarsus, who later became the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 22, which we'll get to, who knows? Maybe four years from now, at the rate we're going, um, but. When Paul is giving his testimony in Acts 22, he says this, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. We have one quote uh, from Gamaliel about his former student, Saul of Tarsus. He said this, My only problem with Saul of Tarsus was providing him with enough books. And it just makes, I don't know, it just I just love it. It warms me to know that the Apostle Paul was a bookworm uh, like many of us. And uh, anyway, I love that. But Gamaliel gives these two illustrations about the principle that he's sharing. He talks about this guy named Thudius. Thutius, Thutius uh, led a revolt against Rome with about 400 people, as Gamaliel mentions. Uh, he was a really colorful guy. He gathered a bunch of people at the Jordan River, and he said that he was going to part the sea, he was going to part the Jordan River the same way that Moses parted the Red Sea. I don't know if I need to tell you how the story ends, but it didn't work out. Rome eventually beheaded him, and that revolt died right there. The second guy, and this is of particular interest to us, is a guy named Judas the Galilean. Judas the Galilean uh, led a revolt against Rome around the year 6 AD. We says around the time of the census. So it was in that general vicinity. And so he had a, he got a huge following because he had kind of a simple platform that he was running on. And he did three things that people were taking note of. Number one, he cleansed the temple of all the money changers. Number two, his message was that he was bringing in the kingdom of God. By the way, those first two should sound familiar. And then the third is that he told Jews not to pay the head tax. Now, there was lots of taxes that that people that people paid, but r- the the one that really bothered the Jewish people more than any of the others is was was called a head tax that Rome imposed on you, even if you weren't a Roman citizen. It was anyone that was under Roman occupation had to pay a uh, this head tax. Rome imposed it for you to have the privilege of being ruled by Rome. I mean, the the Rome was like ticketmaster. I mean, they were just adding fees just, you know, just for kicks. Really, no response on that. All right. The next time you guys go to a concert, you guys just check out all the Ticketmaster fees. The fees are more than the actual concert ticket. And um, then you will laugh at this joke six months from now, but it will be too late. Anyway, so, but some people started to believe that Judas the Galilean was the Messiah because he did these three things. And he rallied big numbers to his cause until Rome came in and killed him. So when people were looking at the possibility of Jesus being the Messiah, they thought he cleansed the temple twice. He's preaching the kingdom of God. And if he's against the head tax, then we've got messianic Yahtzee and we can just go for it with him. And so that's why, and this is the background that we get in Matthew chapter 22 when people come to him and say, hey, is it acceptable to pay taxes to Caesar? Remember, they're not talking about just all taxes. They're talking specifically about the head tax. And they're saying, if he says yes, it's illegal, the common people are going to think he's the Messiah. If he says yes, that it's illegal, the Pharisees are going to be able to tell Rome, hey, remember the last guy that said this, who caused this big up, uproar? You, you murdered him. Take care of Jesus as well. And so that was the point that they were making. Now, all of these movements, uh, by the way, Matthew 22, Jesus gives this incredibly brilliant answer and everybody's stunned all of these movements came to nothing and that's Gamaliel's point. It wasn't of God and ultimately it fizzled out. And I really believe that if you, if you will live by what I call the Gamaliel rule, taking a wait and see approach to people's actions to find out what their motive really is, it's so wise. It's also a very gracious way to live. One of the things that I've learned is I've gotten a little bit older and um, I am turning 50 later this year. And... Uh, There's no reason to clap. All right, thank you. Thank. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And uh, my my son turned 14 yesterday, and we had a big party for him. And at uh, and and some guys were asking me, you know, hey, you know, how old are you, Bob? I'm like, oh, I'm turning 50 this year. Like, you're 49. I'm like, yeah, but I'm I'm like 49.95. I'm like really on the end. I'm like 49.95 plus shipping and handling. I'm like really pushing. I'm ready to really hit 50 here soon. And so I'm in, I think, the last 100 days of my 40s. And um, I'm just, anyway, but one of the things that I've learned about being a little bit older and hopefully a little bit wiser is that things are rarely what they appear to be at first glance. But given time, the true nature of things come out because people, even if you don't have all the information, you, a person's character is always revealed over time. There is an old saying, and I tell my kids this, that patience is the weapon that forces deception to reveal itself. Things get revealed over time. And the thing is, is that if you will just be patient before casting judgment, oh, I was going to just hang back and watch. And we're going to see what really happens. We're going to see the character of of the people that are involved in this. Um, People are going to think you're as wise as Solomon, but really it's just patience doing its work. Patience is the weapon that forces deception to reveal itself. Uh, Solomon said this in Proverbs 17. He says, even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. Isn't it amazing? You You could have the least knowledge in the world, and if somebody says something, you're like, hmm. We're like, oh, this guy's a brainiac, right? I think even if you have glasses, you can do that. Even glasses accentuate everything at least double, because if you're like, hmm, now but try that. Now somebody says something and you go, hmm. Now it's the same, but it's totally different. Um, if you're, if something happens and you're like, man, are you serious? Okay, now somebody tells you something. You're like, man, are you serious? Why glasses? I don't know what it is, but glasses just have a thing that they do. <laughs> They just, and, they, and they make people look smarter as I put my glasses back on. So <laughs> now, here's the thing, is that if you will wait for things to play out, you will be seen as wise because that's what wise people do. Now, I had this experience with my son. Like I said, my son turned 14 yesterday. When he was 11, I had picked him up at lunchtime, and we were going to have lunch, and he was going to finish his schoolwork at, uh, at the office with me. And so we walk outside of my house and there's a painter in my neighborhood and I was looking to do some painting. And so I I go outside. I'm, hey, let me ask you a question. So I'm standing at the edge of my driveway uh, with my car behind me, the house behind me. And Xander is standing behind me because he's standing at the door waiting to get into the car. And so I'm talking and he says, "Uh, hey, dad, Uh, can I, can you, can you help? And I'm like, yeah, just a minute, buddy. I don't turn around like just a minute. And then I'm talking to the guy and I'm like, you know, let me get your number, whatever, uh, to, to get a quote. And and he's like, dad, can you take a look at this? And I'm like, buddy, one minute and and I'm going to help you out. And then he says, uh, dad, um, a bird just pooped all over the car. And so I turn around, I don't even, I don't even see him, but I look and it looks like a bird was carrying a bucket of white paint, that bucket of white paint, slipped out of its talons as it was flying uh, over my car and an explosion happened uh, on my car. And so I look at that. I don't even see him, but I'm like, buddy, I'm going to take care of that in a minute. And uh, then I'm going to just say, all right. Dude. And he's like, dad, um, you don't understand. And, 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 and then he says, uh, the bird hit the car and then it splashed on me. And I turn around finally uh, and I see this poor kid, he has been standing there trying with all of his might to be polite because he's been taught by his parents, you don't interrupt adults when they're talking. And, 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 and he's trying. And this kid's got like bird poop all over his neck, on his shirt. And he's just mortified like, uh, dad, can we, you know, just, I mean, and I, I felt so bad. And I'm, I, I, you know, and I'm like, we're going to clean you up. We go inside and whatever. And I'm like, what do you want? I will get you whatever. What do you want? You want the life of your enemies? We're gonna do, this, you know. And uh, and he's like, "Can I just? Can I have? Can I? Can I have a, a Coke?" I'm <laughs> like, "You want a Coke? You want every brand of Coke, every style of Coke? Uh, you want me to buy you a couple shares of Coke? I don't care. I feel so terrible about this. and and, uh, and and here's the point. Sometimes we think we know what's up, but we haven't turned around yet because there's only one part of the story that's been painted. And if we're too quick to judge, we end up with egg on our face or worse like my son with stuff all over him. And by the way, we were driving and and I said to him to try to make him feel better. I'm like, you know, some people believe when a bird poops on you, it's good luck. And he said, uh, that's cool. And then he says, uh, do you believe that? I said, do you feel lucky? He said, no. I said, I believe the person standing next to the guy that got pooped on is the lucky one. He said, yeah, that sounds about right. So, Let me read you this passage. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, so don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light and reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. Let me tell you another thing that we do that is just, just not a good way to live. We judge someone's entire life by one moment, one statement, one action. That is not a gracious way to live. Because none of us want to be judged like that. Um, That's why we need to have the wisdom of Gamaliel and look at the whole picture. But that's what our culture does. It reduces your entire life to one soundbite, one comment, one emotional response. But uh, we all know that's not true. We know that people are more complex than that, that we're more complex than that. And you know what's happened? Is that everything that is wrong with politics in this country has crept into our private lives and now is destroying everything that it touches. And, you know, people who run political campaigns, what they're looking for is something on their opponent. And it's like, do you know that this guy said this in 1976 in a conversation with his mother when she was on vacation in Guam? You know, and it's like, really? And that's the thing that's going to sink you. And now that becomes the, the, the narrative of your life is the thing that you said almost 50 years ago, that's who you are. Listen, you aren't who you were 20 years ago. You aren't who you were 10 years ago. You weren't who you were five years ago. And, and I'm going to venture to say this, that a lot of us have changed a lot in the last 12 months. But here's what I'm asking you to do, is extend the grace that you're hoping people will have with you. And then, hopefully, we can extend that grace to other people. And you know, if you do, you will be wiser than anyone around you. Because, the pers- because God is the person who will ultimately vindicate you when everything is revealed. And you will have more joy than everyone else because you're just silencing all the nonsense. And when everybody comes to you with all the drama, you know what you're going to say? You know what? If it's not of God, it's going to fail. And if it is, you can't stop it. And that will ultimately bring you peace and joy. Peace because you recognize you're not in charge of the universe. And joy because when you're trusting God, you don't have to wade into the mess that other people are creating. But you know, the last thing is, is that when you live like this, you will be more gracious than anyone around you. And listen, there's a danger in that when you're gracious with people. Because when you're gracious with people, um, sometimes people will take advantage of that. And sometimes you'll end up giving grace to people who don't deserve it or won't appreciate it. That, that, That might happen. But here's the thing that I've learned. I want to be gracious because I want the Lord to be gracious with me. And I have found that the more gracious I am with people, the more he's gracious with me, the more he changes me and blesses my life. And my friends, that's where we want to live. We're imperfect. We all know that. Every single one of us is imperfect. But listen, if any of us is really going to change, we're going to have to give each other a measure of grace to say that we're, hey, I'm in process. I'm under construction. And when we do, we're going to find it's a much better way to live and we're going to live with a lot more joy. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for that. And we pray that you would continue to do your good work in us. Help us. God, help us to not reduce people to one moment, one soundbite, one action, but instead to know that you we're all under construction and that you're working in and through us and for us. Help us to be people of grace. Help us to be people of wisdom, people who can see things from a different perspective and know that you're with us and that you wanna change things for the better. We pray it in Jesus' name and everybody said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If today you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's one of the best decisions you've ever made. And we as a church want to help you with your next steps. You see, we have a free gift we'd like to give you. And in order for you to receive that gift, all you have to do is visit mycalvary.com forward slash begin. Don't forget to tune in next week for our next podcast. God bless you.